the end of the first chapter of Philippians. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come to see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind, as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way, you remain fa- that way, you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you this, the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I'm still facing. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Gary. So when I... I was studying through and praying through this passage this week. I came across also this uh, Wendell Berry poem, this short Wendell Berry poem, and I think Jay has it. It's called The Real Work. It says, It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work, and that when we no longer know which way to go, that we've come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. This says to me that you know you're doing real work. You know that you're on a trip that's worth taking when it's hard, when it's uncertain, when it's fearful, when things are scarce. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. This passage that Gary read, written from prison by Paul, who calls himself earlier a slave, and he writes it to the saints in Philippi who are also struggling, reminds us that adversity is not only a part of life, but it's actually an indicator that real work is being done. Yet, most of us, and, and well, I'll just speak for myself, rather than enter into or remain in, in a tension or r- remain in a place where it's just stinking hard, we'd rather do anything to release that tension, right? Like, if it hurts, like, this is why I'm a terrible gym member, is because when it starts to hurt, I'm, it must be done, you know? <coughs> That's why I'm not very strong. Rather than enter in or remain in this tension, though, we do anything to get out of it, to get out of that pull when we feel tugged, like that pull between the already and the not yet, or the the pull between hurt and a place where we know we can go to for comfort. There's a couple of ways we do this. We we can one one easy way to do it, or one common way to do it, is just to despair, like you just lose hope. I think that often makes us isolate when we despair or or lose faith altogether. None of this is working, or at least none of this fits into the narrative I have of how this should work or when this should happen. 
So we despair. Or we give in, right? That's kind of a cousin to despair. We give in, we, we adjust our course due to the fact that we're legitimately getting beaten on. Or the fact that how things currently are just like actually is not sustainable. You know, like, so we give in. We, we change what we're doing because it's a crazy person that doesn't change what they're doing and expect other results, right? It seems inevitable, so we give in. Or another way to deal with it is to run away. And maybe this is actually running away from what's hurting you. For me, it's getting off of the elliptical or, you know, uh, the fill in the blank for like really wimpy gym machine. Um, but this running away can also mean like you find a few people that agree with you and you hang out with them. Like you build a bunker. And like this is, this is so easy to do right now with technology because there is every kind of corner of the internet, right? <laughs> like there's so many different spaces. But this also can happen like not an actual bunker, though maybe, but not an actual bunker, but like that sort of hunkered down life that you retreat to life with friends or family. Um, a place where you enjoy. A place maybe that um, you have a modicum of control or just at least a little more control than this world that seems like it's impeding upon you. You can do those things. You can despair, you can give in, you can run away, or you can stand firm. That seems to be the option that, that Paul is advocating here. He's asking them to, to stand firm, to, to hold space as best as they can for themselves and, and for others, even though it feels like struggle is the only foreseeable thing coming. Stand firm um, happens in public, right? Like. Standing firm it happens in contested space. It's not, it's not like retreating or running away. It, it's like standing in the waves. <laughs> it's not in luxurious privacy. But it's in a spot where others might change you. Where others might change you. And, and, others, and that change might even mean hurt. <laughs> others might hurt you. That's how you might be changed. There's a little spoiler alert for our passage next week in Philippians 2. Like, others might change, it, might change you, might mean that they'd kill you, even on a cross. Like, that's, that's where this is going. But standing firm also happens in a place where you come in contact with other, others so that they might change you in a positive way, too. They might give you the sort of wisdom that only comes through fidelity. Like we, we want, or so often we say we want wisdom, we really want like facts or knowledge, but wisdom actually comes by, by fidelity, by, by slow obedience in the same direction, um, by, by sticking, by being there. And that's, that's so hard, it's so countercultural. I, I also read an article this last week that called this time that we're living in the golden age of bailing. <laughs> because because we, we don't want to stick. We don't want to stay, especially when it's hard or uncomfortable. In this standing firm also might change 
those people that you're coming in contact with. It might change them. It might bless them. It might challenge them, maybe not immediately, but over time it, it might even allow them and allow you an encounter on a human level that you wouldn't choose or you wouldn't get by your own choice. It might even allow for a divine encounter. There's all these, all these passages sprinkled throughout Scripture and especially the New Testament about entertaining angels unaware or about encountering Jesus when you encountered the least of these, even and especially when you weren't expecting it. Our passage says, do this so that you can stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. When I first read this passage, I could only see a couple of images in my mind. The first being those fire hoses that were turned on people in Mississippi, in this case, Birmingham, Alabama in 1963, their arms linked. This seems to, to me what standing firm actually looks like, or actually looked like. They're holding space, even as their voices, even as their humanity is trying to be drowned out and washed away. But we're, we're reminded by that Barry poem that the impeded stream sings. Maybe that's why we have so many good songs from that era of our country. Rather than despair, rather than give up, rather than run away, these folks stand firm, united in one spirit and mind, united with their bodies, linked. One of the key figures of this civil rights movement um, towards equity in our country and in the South is a woman named Fannie Lou Hamer. I think there's an image of her. She literally made singing part of her modus operandi, uh, how, she, how she operated in politics and in protest. She would lead choruses of this little light of mine and go tell it on the mountain, which for whatever reason we relegate to like kid songs or Christmas songs, but these are like powerful, disruptive resistance anthems. They became a central part of how she would unify people's voices together as they stood firm. Now we take it for granted. If you see a protest going on, there's probably going to be someone singing. But that wasn't a normal thing. But Fannie Lou Hamer took these songs from the field and from church, and she put them in this public contested space to help people stand firm. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And if she knew, if anyone knew impediment, Fannie Lou Hamer knew impediment. She was, after all, someone who, she was um, diagnosed with, can with a cancerous tumor, and when she went in to have that surgery, she uh, had a, they called it an involuntary hysterectomy, um, which she, in her kind of dark but awesome humor, uh, referred to as a Mississippi ap appendectomy later on. Like, this woman also met resistance. Like, there are audio tapes of her being called by President Lyndon B. Johnson referring to her as that illiterate woman. 
uh, when when they they were trying to figure out what to do with her. Despite all of this, <laughs> Fannie Lou Hamer stood firm. Like one of my favorite quotes from her is, is she says, and this epitomizes the standing that she would do. She says, sometimes it seems like to tell the truth today is to run the risk of being killed. But if I fall, I'll fall five foot four inches forward in the fight for freedom. I'm not backing off. This diminutive woman stood firm. The other image that I couldn't get out of my head was a more recent one of this woman named Aisha Evans, standing firm. This is following the death of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, just a year or two ago, maybe a year ago. Aisha, wearing this beautiful sundress, has this amazingly placid look on her face. And when, when they interviewed her for, for a talk show, she like, didn't even act like she views herself as much of an activist. Really, she's just a nurse. And she says, I'm not an activist, I, I just care about my people. Um, she said, God gave me something to do. She said, uh, and this is a quote from her, she says, I'm a human, I'm a woman, I'm a mom, I'm a nurse, I could be your nurse. I could be taking care of you, you know? Note in that, like, that's a really normal kind of thing that maybe any of us could say about our profession or our vocations, right? But like implicit in that is this life of fidelity, faithfulness, just showing up, consistency. She also, uh, in that same interview, says, so when you see these officers and you see their gear, I see his gun, they look impenetrable compared to me with no armor in the sundress. She said, but there was no fear. You see this, this amazing surpassing understanding, but very ordinary, very located, very concrete courage that she displayed. And, and I think this picture shows, uh, goes, go look up that picture if you haven't seen it and just look at her face. In these photos, we see how faithfulness and courage are a double sign, how they work. The passage says, your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. You see, even as it looks like one side is winning or has won, in the grand logic of the gospel, that's not true. There's this deeper truth. There's a deeper truth on her face that says, even though all these this whole picture is completely imbalanced about who is winning and who's in control. Because of Christ's death, because of his resurrection, the opposite holds true. We'll explore this kind of deep, grand story next week in, in Philippians 2, where all of this kind of courage and all of this faithfulness is, is built, is predicated on Christ emptying himself and being obedient even to the cross's brutal death. And that gives way to vindication. You can't live like this unless you believe that you've already been vindicated and will be in the future. This revelation that nothing is actually stronger or higher than Jesus' name in God's kingdom, even as this sort of strength 
is being made perfect in weakness. Even as the strength is working its way out through our struggle and through the struggle of others. For me, some of this has, has been, I've learned some of this over the last almost three years planning Oak Church. What it feels like um, to step into something that is too big for you and is too big for us. Um, like the great theologian Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And, and that's a, a little bit how church planning goes. Is like you, th- you think you know how it's going to go and then you get there and, and it's really different and it's really hard. <laughs> right? Like I remember in, in these like specific moments, I remember sitting in an office or, or, or sitting in someone's, standing in someone's yard or even out in the street where me, but I'll, don't hear this as just my autobiography. This is also people with me and other people without me in this community. Like being um, like firsthand encountering like this daunting big stuff like substance abuse and mental health and homelessness and sin and the complexities and, and, and just pain of race stuff and uh, these big forces of gentrification and, and these negotiating personalities and personal selfishness, like all these things I, I, I remember sitting across I remember the first time I sat across from someone who, uh, for whom I legitimately didn't have an answer for how things were going to get any better. <laughs> and that's how I knew we were like doing this. Not that we had won or achieved anything, but that we were just actually planning a church like we set out to do. And that's still what we're doing. That's uh, why we need to keep struggling. And if things... Um, if, if there's not a struggle, you've got to wonder, am I fleeing it? Am I muting it? You know, am I avoiding it? Um, and not in a mas- masochistic way, but like, I think that on an institutional level and on a personal level, that's what this vision is, is encouraging us in. Uh, I never thought that planning a church would re- require from us such a commitment to this sort of suffering. Like... If you had asked me a few years ago, I would have said, like, maybe, like, an easy kind of suffering, the kind that you can, like, cure with techniques, you know? But this is the sort of suffering that you have to enter into and care for and be with. It's not really some of the stuff you can't cure. You just have to to be present to this sort of brokenness, listen to it, be there. You also have to have this this just overwhelming deep commitment to the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel that will not only stem that tide in this person's life that you don't know how, you don't know how that's going to come, you don't know what needs to be different necessarily, but you believe that it's going to because Jesus said it would and Jesus said he'd be with us by his spirit. But also, like, confidence in this gospel that, that, these hurts and this sin and, and how death is impinging on lives and places and bodies will actually be reversed. How the gospel will seep so deeply into 
the places where we are in this world, that it'll begin to heal it. That, that by us holding ground, by us standing firm, it'll actually, this gospel will start to gain ground. As Dr. Hayes said last week, the, the word that keeps popping up is this Greek word prokope, which means the progress of the gospel, the movement of the kingdom, the emergence of more and more peace and healing. I think it's, it's the key that Paul instructs the Christians at Philippi to do this together. This is not a solo mission or plan. It's something that they need to do together, united in one spirit, united in one mind. This is what gospel worthiness looks like. Our passage says to live lives, plural, worthy of the gospel. That word axios is this, uh, it's like a scale, like uh, weights. So, so it's like this, and then worthy means it's in the balance, right? That you stand firm on the solid ground of the gospel and, and you work for its progress, not for your progress, but for the gospel's progress, for the good of this good news, that Jesus is making all things new because he's dealt with sin and death and unmasked and disarmed the powers and principalities. Though you may be impeded, you will be impeded, you should be impeded, let this cause you to sing. I think that's why, why the Christian church from the beginning was always a singing church. It needed to be. We need to sing in one spirit, the same spirit that envelops creation. This is a spirit that hovers over the waters and brings about order in life and flourishing. This is the same spirit that works responsive hearts of flesh into deathly stone-cold hearts. This is the same spirit with the power to raise Jesus from the dead, and it's in us. This is the same spirit also that that comes down at Pentecost and gives people an ability to understand each other, to, to hear their own language in the, in the mouth of someone who is not a native speaker. This is the same spirit that we're unified in. This should allow us to, to be bound together in unity, even while we reap the massive, diverse fruits of God's sowing. And then he closes this passage with, God has generously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. I think here's a little of what this looks like. Just this past week, I spoke with someone in, in the church, and they mentioned how heavy they felt, like how weighed down and overwhelmed they were with some of the suffering they were encountering with work and friendships, how that like impinged upon them, impeded them. And I started to encourage them. And I started to talk about others in the church. And I think they assumed that I'd say something along the lines of, make sure that others help you so you won't feel so sad all the time and they'll cheer you up. Like that, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That's true to some extent. But that doesn't strike me as the only thing here. That, that doesn't strike me as the only way that God can work 
this sort of suffering and this sort of sensitivity to suffering for the good of that person and all of us. See, God has given this particular person a particular burden, which we can either assume as a deficit, something that we can fix with techniques, or as a gift to the group, as a gift to the body. Instead, I try to encourage this person by saying that they need to share this sensitivity, this burden with the church because it's far too big, it's far too heavy, it's far too much for them to deal with on their own. It would blast them over like a wave if they try to stand in it by themselves. But also because the church needs this person's burden. It needs it as a gift. It needs to share in that suffering. That's that language of Paul uses of participation, of koinonia, of community, of sharing. We also need to be troubled by this person's trouble. And then we also need to rally our resources around this. And I mean like financial material resources, but I also mean like spiritual resources, prayer, emotional resources. We need to rally around this because we, we need this. This is, uh, in some sense, part of like the prophetic gift present in our community that will unsettle us and push us towards the progress of the gospel even as we're impeded. This is part of what it means to share in suffering with this person, but also share in suffering with Christ. That we might not only believe in Christ, and this is a privilege, we might not only believe in Christ, but we'll share in his sufferings. We might not only believe in Christ, but we'll find our life in him. We'll find our lives in his way of life that includes a lot of suffering. We'll find our lives together as we're set to this worthy work of standing firm. Even and especially as we're impeded, let us sing together. Let us sing together songs of hope and, and songs of healing and, and songs of hospitality in Christ. You guys pray with me. Father, we thank you for this, this word that seems so active and so potent. Uh, let it cut to us. We thank you for these images that we've seen this, this happen. And we thank you for the people in our lives that our minds flash to when we think of what it looks like to stand firm. We thank you for all these people um, around us. May we learn how to stand with them. Um, not, not jump ahead of them, not lag behind them, but stand with them and, and make us solid. Make us solid for the people in our lives that aren't at all solid that they might find rest in you. Lord, we thank you that, that when standing firm hurts, you know that it's a double sign of our salvation and, and the end of that hurt and those factors that are causing that hurt. We thank you that, that you're qualified to make those judgments and we're not. Father, renew us. Give us endurance as we go this week. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.